Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Balthazar. And today, welcome to the weekly recap, plus bonus basketball, or catsketball, should I say, preview segment for this upcoming men's catsketball season. But let's dive right into the recap, starting with football recruiting. And unfortunately, we have bad news because one of the most anticipated recruiting, well, bits of news has turned out to be against the Cats with the Park Hill Park Hill yep. receiver, Moody A. Rubin, committing to Stanford instead of K-State. And what I will say is... He almost certainly is going there because of academics. So I don't really consider this as bad a recruiting loss as a lot of people probably will. But still, it hurts a lot. Yeah, it really stings because I think this was very winnable for quite some time until Stanford turned up the heat. And it uh, it's very hard to compete with Stanford, especially for someone that's academically inclined. Like, and maybe football future isn't the first thing on their mind. Uh, because Stanford's offense is kind of like K-State's, and that's not necessarily conducive to receiver success. It can be, but not necessarily. But Moutier, he was a guy I would have really liked to have on the roster. Uh, really big athlete, six foot four, about 200 pounds-ish, I believe. Well, I've been playing football for a couple of years, so a lot of untapped potential there. Very good athlete, uh, just a great jump ball guy. Still pretty underdeveloped. I was like a route runner and stuff like that. But he would have been a really nice project to have an ad. But unfortunately, he does not go with the Cats. Very sad news to get right at the beginning of the basketball game. Yeah, that so. was really unfortunate. It was kind of a mood killer for a while. It really was. Like for the first few minutes, I was just kind of bummed out. But I, I got over it pretty quickly. But... Yeah, you just kind of have to keep moving forward in the world of recruiting. Not going to win them all, and you know, it does it really does stink to lose out on Moody just because he was a high-rated three-star on Rivals and a above-average three-star on twenty-four-seven. So coveted recruit uh, that just unfortunately went a different path. I do think this is another yet yeah, another recruitment that K State finishes second, and yeah. we've really made a habit of finishing second, especially and these higher level ones where we kind of stick around basketball, pretty similar story. A lot of finishing second, but there are more fish in the sea. And that there's one thing that this staff is really good at doing and recruiting. It's scrambling. scrambling. They are very good at scrambling and finding players out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Like, like enter Felix and DK. So, because our, our, our room right now, at least if I'm remembering correctly, our receivers that we got in this class, isn't it just Sterling? Right now it's just Sterling, I believe. Struber was originally seen as a receiver, but I believe they're going to have him play safety instead. Okay. So, I be- as I understand it, I believe it's just Sterling right now. But we got to hope Sterling develops, which he's a locket, so... Mm-hmm. You know, he they're, they're late bloomers, brother. <laughs> yeah, they're late bloomers, lockets are, so... Maybe. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see, though. But, yeah. So, different type of football now, and we're actually talking about playing. 
the soccer recap, the last game, of the, or at least the last regular season game of the year against Iowa State. It was a loss. We were actually at this game. We were the, the two students. we were the only two students at this game because yeah. granted it was pretty cold. It was like, very cold and also a little bit rainy. Yeah, I was a little worried it was going to start raining a couple times. It was just horrible gusts of wind from the north that would, like what it was just killing every single ball that they were trying to kick north. You know that felt like kicking a rock. Oh, it must have been awful. Yeah, but the the more the moral of the Iowa State game is. We had a lot of really good chances, and then we just failed to capitalize on them, and then we would spend half of a half on our side of the field, not really being competitive to get it to the other side of the field. Yeah, it was really difficult to watch at times, uh, just because it felt like nothing would work for a while, and then we'd start to get things figured out, and then it would just kind of flip back to not working. I have the stats pulled up. They were honestly pretty even in a lot of the categories. Uh, other than fouls, we doubled them up. We just foul a lot as a team. Yeah. But we're just very, very aggressive. But um, the Cats had 13 shots, 5 on target. Iowa State had 12, 9 on target. Uh, that was 8 saves for K-State, 5 for Iowa State. I think Iowa State had 6 corners. K-State had 2. And K-State 16 fouls to 8 for Iowa State. Case had a red, uh, not a red, a yellow card in the 64th minute. Bailey Nemechek picked one up. And I had the lone goal uh, in this 1-0 defeat was scored by Anna Lindgren of Iowa State in the 53rd minute. So, But KSA did have their opportunities in this match. There was a uh, a header, I believe, that just barely, barely, missed. barely missed. Wide open shot, just barely went over the top bar. And then they nearly scored in the final 10 seconds. They got an attack going, and they got a really good shot off, but it was just an excellent save by Iowa State. So, K-State did have their chances in this match where they just were unable to capitalize, which is kind of the story offensively, I feel like, for K-State soccer. They are able to create some opportunities, but they just can't quite break through. At least, that's just kind of what it's felt like when I've watched them. I haven't had many opportunities to watch a game where they just kind of dominate unfortunately, because so, they don't do it very often. No, but. they don't. But, and then the final bit of soccer news, probably for the year. Yeah, this will probably be about it unless anything happens with the coaching staff, which maybe, maybe, maybe? we'll see. We'll but see. Brooklyn Ents is a second team All-Big 12 member, so congratulations again to one of two. Like, I Honestly... The goalie got snubbed. I always forget her name. Yeah, Elena Weirmeyer. Elena Weirmeyer got stubbed. Yeah, yeah, she got. She definitely got snubbed uh, from the All Big Twelve uh, list. She should have at least been All Big Twelve honorable mention at minimum because she was excellent this year. She was doing some great stuff um, for a majority of the season. Brooklyn honestly probably should have been higher. I imagine the only reason she isn't higher is because her stats probably aren't as great as they could have been. Because she was so keyed in on defensively. Yeah. Because watching her with the ball uh, in her possession, she was just so obviously better than everybody on the field at any given point. No matter who we were playing, she just, she was just, she looked more dangerous than everybody. She could do things with the ball that a lot of other players on KSA and whoever the opponent was couldn't do. So she was, the only reason she was stoppable was because 
the defense would just key in on her, and she's one person going against 11 yeah. defenders. So yeah. there's only so much one can do. But Brooklyn Entz will be sorely missed by K-State soccer going forward. She is a difference maker for quite some time. Yeah. So now let's talk about cross country. They had the Big 12 championships. Men got fourth, women fifth. Anything else? Uh, no, not really. I looked through the um, individual standings, and Casey just didn't really have anyone finish particularly high. I think one of the men finished like 17th. And it was just, we had a lot of people run solid races. Yeah. And so we finished solidly. So not a lot to say there other than uh, respectable finishes for KCA Cross Country. Yeah. Speaking of, not a lot to say. Baseball had their Fall World Series scrimmage, and uh, it was free. It hasn't happened yet. Oh, it hasn't happened. They have, my bad. They have their scrimmage. It is tomorrow through Sunday, mm-hmm. or the day that this episode comes out through Sunday. Yep. Free entry. Go support the Batcats. It'll be a grand old time. They should be really good this year, actually. Yep. And they also, uh, we didn't include it on here, but they did just release the schedule for it 2022. It is a gauntlet. They, last year, they got snubbed from the NCAA tournament because they had a weak strength of schedule. So they took that snub, and they decided to make one of the hardest schedules I've ever seen for a K-State team. <laughs> they start off the In season. any sport. Yeah. Their first three games are Arizona, Michigan, Auburn. And that's an Arizona school that went to the College World Series, a Michigan school that went to the NCAA Regionals, and an Auburn school that uh, they, uh, I think they went to a regional, as I recall. Regardless, SEC baseball is just really good generally. Anyway, I could have sworn that they went to a regional. I may be totally making that up because, as I understand it, they had a good, not great season at least for the standards of the SEC. So we will... Yeah, they went 25 and 27, so I don't think that they would have made a regional. No, they did not. But they did play really well against everyone that they played. Like, I'm looking through here, and they get their whole schedule, they get blown out, like, two times. Like, in their entire schedule. Yeah. So, and that's... They're playing a lot of ranked schools. So, that's three straight... <laughs> Awful, awfully difficult games for K-State to start. And they do a tour of California. They're going to be in California from February 25th to March 6th, uh, playing um, Cal State Bakersfield, uh, February 25th to the 27th. They have a one-off game with Cal State Fullerton. Then they have a three-game series from March 4th to March 6th against Loyola Marymount. <laughs> then they have Nebraska. Nebraska. Then they get a little break with Central Connecticut State. I did not realize that was a college that existed. They go at Omaha, home against Moorhead State, Air Force, then they're at TCU to start Big 12 play. Of course. Of course. They kind of just completely flip where they were on the schedule last year. Then we get Northern Colorado, then we have Oklahoma State, Creighton at Texas Tech, Texas at home, Wichita State, Omaha again, UC Irvine at Nebraska, at Oklahoma, Wichita State, KU, Baylor. And we just have a random game at Virginia Tech. There's no return game. We just play them once, and then we're done. Don't know why. And we have West Virginia at home. Just an absolute gauntlet of a schedule. It is a 
nightmare of a schedule. So it'll prove that we're good if we win. Yeah, if we have a record comparable to the one that we had this year, we would be in the NCAA tournament. I Easily. believe with this schedule. Oh yeah, without a question. So Batcats are going to be interesting to watch. There's going to be some really interesting players to keep track of. Uh, some interconference transfers. Uh, like there's a few from Oklahoma State. Names are escaping me right now. Yeah. But and also we have a transfer from Arizona, I believe. We do. Uh, Herman for Fajardo. I don't know why that was so hard for me to say. I don't either. But he's a pitcher from Arizona. Toby Osens on me. Toby Osens on me. Yeah. <laughs> Point is, baseball team, go out and see him this year. Should be pretty fun to watch. Uh, Dylan Phillips is back. They'll be hitting some dingers. Uh, I don't know. Nick Goodwin. Nick Goodwin. He'll also be doing that. Sperlin's back. He'll be doing some nice contact hitting, I guess. Unfortunately, Caleb Little Jim gone yeah Caleb Little Jim unfortunately is gone so he can't bat play center field and pitch in the same game anymore (laughs) (laughs) Uh, don't worry we'll find another random outfielder to do that That, that's gonna be all of our outfielders honestly so (laughs) it's our entire team what are you talking about but yeah K-State baseball they should be really entertaining team if they're anything close to what they were last year I think they almost led the country in home runs during the regular season out of nowhere they blew their reason they blew their single-season home run record just out of the water. They broke it with, like, five games to go. Yeah. So, just... Now, we, we, we kind of rambled on baseball for a while, but... Because we love, we yeah, love the Bat we, Cats. We love the Bat Cats. We're, we're big Bat Cat fans, but... Yeah. The Cats, baby. It's all about the Cats. But, yeah, yeah. just yeah, get out there. This is going to be your last chance to watch them until... Uh, actually, March, because those early games, they're all on the road. So... Yeah. That's tough. Anyway, now let's get into the meat of this episode, which is the men's casketball preview. Let's start by looking to the past of last year, even though I don't really want to. <laughs> last year was painful. I feel it's important because there is a there there's a narrative there that's like worth following. Yeah. Just uh, looking back. Unfortunately, like you said, a 2020-2021 men's basketball. They finished 9-20, and their worst season since World War II. Uh, they went 4-14 and in Big 12 play, uh, which is still awful, but it's better than the 9-20, and like, actually. And yeah, I mean, at least yeah. we beat Oklahoma. Yeah, we beat OU, beat TCU, nearly beat Baylor, beat TCU a couple times down the road, but... Uh, to recap a, a very general overview of last year, it started badly. It got even worse. I mean, at one point we lost like 13 or 14 games in a row. And it was, we, we dropped a game to Baylor by like 48 at one point. In that single game, at one point the score was like 42-7 or something like that. Like it was like a football game. Just utter, utter embarrassment for a lot of the year. But then it was kind of, seemingly out of nowhere they kind of started to turn things around they Which had, was weird yeah they had a really tight game against texas they nearly pulled off an upset against them um and then they upset ou uh, then they they had tcu they beat them on the road uh a quality like win where they actually comfortably won yeah and then uh they, yeah they went four and two in their last six games after <laughs> 
according to my calculations, that, that going into that they would have been uh, five and eighteen. Yep. So it was pretty bad, and then um, they went to the Big Twelve tournament, just destroyed TCU in the first game. We were the last team on the court, therefore we were Big Twelve champions. That's, that's 2019-2020 that you're thinking of. Oh. But we also beat TCU in that. True. We just play TCU a lot. Sorry, in last basketball. year. These two years blurred together yep. for me. Yep. But the big story from last year, other than us being really bad, was the freshman trio of Nigel Pack, Davion Bradford, and Selton Miguel. They all good at their own thing. Nigel Pack uh, made his mark as a a very reliable perimeter shooter. He ended up shooting over 40% from three on the season last year, which, considering that the team was hist- was awful from perimeter shooting, he was remarkably great shooting the ball. Yeah, which um, is like, to, to put it into perspective, he almost single-handedly carried our team three-point percentage. Yes. Because wasn't it like the team th- down 30s? The team three point percentage was twenty nine point six percent, and Pack had forty point five, because there were some people really bringing down the three point percentage, which we'll get into a little bit later. But then Davion, he was a menace on the inside, especially down the stretch. He, even though we lost to Oklahoma State, because we had like eight players alive for that game, like Joe Petrakis was getting like meaningful minutes, and like was also he. He also had more points than Cade Cunningham in that game. <laughs> and then Davion Bradford posterized uh, Cade Cunningham in that game. We lost by like 20, but it was fun. <laughs> like, we posterized it, it was the least bad loss that we had just because even for our standards, we knew going into it that there wasn't even a shot. Because I normally have hope. I just went into that knowing there's nothing will happen. That was your bad for having hope. Yep, I I just constantly hurt myself last year with K State basketball. I was just like, every day I was like, you know, maybe it'll be better. I would I, literally text you, he's like, we're not winning this game. He's like, no, we have a chance. Like, we eventually we, did. We eventually did have a chance. Credit where credits due. But for like thirteen straight games, we did not. So no. like, we just just double digit loss after double digit loss after double. Digit, like it was really bad. bad, but. They did uh, turn it around, and then we had Sultan Miguel, who early in the year didn't really have a defined role. Nobody really knew quite what he was, as he wasn't the greatest defender. He was a poor perimeter shooter. He couldn't drive to his left. Uh, He could only drive to his right. Even then, he wasn't the best at driving. He didn't have a very good jump shot. So there wasn't really anything he was particularly great at, but then he just kind of flipped a switch and became a borderline elite on-ball defender. And he still wasn't a great shooter, but he got a little bit better at driving. Like, not great, but better, which was, like, really his bread and butter offensively. Then, But it was really he made his mark as the defensive stopper. Where And his emergence as a lead defender is really one of the main things that turned the tide for K-State as a team last year because it was just the defense was just awful. Bruce Weber teams, if they have bad defense, they're going to be bad. And K-State's defense for a lot of the year was really bad. It was genuinely kind of hard to watch. Like It was people just didn't know their assignments, and uh, a lot of people just looked overmatched. Nigel Pack, not, he's not the best perimeter defender. Mike McGurl 
is not the best perimeter defender. Davion Bradford, for all of his offensive prowess, he is underdeveloped as a defender. Casey Eziegu is a solid post defender, but he gets in foul trouble a lot. Uh, Lucas Subki, once he got healthy, he was actually a pretty solid defender, but he spent like two-thirds of the year out with injury. So he was another late emergence that uh, helps contribute to the improvement. But Salton Miguel, he's really the one that you can hang your hat on as being the difference maker defensively. Uh, kind of an underrated part on the team, maybe at large, just because he didn't have, have a great a points per game average. He averaged 7.2 7. points per game. Not awful, but for a four-star recruit, you would expect more. But he ultimately had his great contribution. Another big storyline from last year, uh, Mike McGurl. He, uh, as a senior, went from the last three years of being a role player, basically a guy that can come in, hit a three, hit a couple of threes, be not a liability on defense, and just drain open shots and be a solid player. All of a sudden went from that role player role to number one offensive option, kind of immediately just after multiple transfers, like David Sloan at point guard transferring, that really just decimated point guard depth. So Mike McGurl's being asked to do, he was asked to wear a lot of hats. And yeah, and he, he wasn't yeah. ready to do that he's, yet. Yeah, absolutely was not ready to do that, especially when with the lack of practice. I can't remember, I can't remember where to find the quote, but the, I do remember there is a quote from Bruce Weber somewhere where he mentions in the media days leading up to the season that they had had maybe like two weeks total of having enough players to run five-on-five practice. And when you have, I think they had nine newcomers, and you have a very complicated defensive system, that's just a recipe for disaster, and it really was. You need that time in any sport. It's not just basketball. Mm -hmm. You need that. (laughs) Tennis. (laughs) Yeah, like having all of those young freshmen that were unfamiliar with the defensive scheme coming in and just not getting much time to practice at all. There was a reason that they looked lost, and it's because they just didn't have that practice time that they needed. And Mike McGurl just wasn't quite ready for that, like being the guy offensively. He needed a Robin to his Batman, and he ended up kind of being the Robin to Nigel Pack's Batman. Yeah. And I think that's when he started to thrive, was when he was hot, he could take over, but... He just needed someone to take the pressure off of him. Yeah. And Davion Bradford started to improve as the year went on. Uh, Nigel was really good uh, for making things easier for Mike. Yeah. So that, the, the offense wasn't, it was never at any point in the year great, but it did get more watchable over the course of the season. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with just the fact that they were playing more cohesively. And no mm-hmm. one was trying to play hero, which, it, it, again, it doesn't work in any sport. I'll mm-hmm. take the next one. The defense was really, like, we already kind of mentioned it. The defense was really, really bad for most of the year. And then we decided, you know, we're just going to slap the floor. And suddenly, we weren't awful. <laughs> we have really, really weird stuff. Like, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, so and so is hype. Like, I guess, but then I noticed it was everybody almost every time. I was like, what is going on? What is going on? Why are we doing this? Hype mode activated. Yeah. Be I, good yeah. now. And then I remember uh, KSU underscore fan, uh, the big analytics guy, he posted 
uh, I believe it was him. I may be misrepresenting this information, but he uh, posted a graphic of uh, K-State defense, like efficiency rankings and like points per possession and stuff like that. Um, um, when they slapped the floor and when they didn't, and they were markedly better when they slapped the floor, which is really, really interesting. Weird. It's very strange. I mean, like, it kind of makes sense because, like, it requires you to get into a proper defensive stance to slap the floor. Like, unless you're extremely lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it also maybe just helped put them in a the mindset. It looks a little goofy at first, but when it actually is working, it's it's effective to a certain degree. It bothered some people more than it bothered me. I never minded because the season was a wash regardless. So yeah, you might as well you want. might as well just play around with some stuff, see what works, what doesn't, and it turns out that it worked. Yeah. So, but you, you are right; the defense was really bad for quite a while. God. But, and like, then it, it yeah. it's bad when sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. It, it's bad whenever someone because I've I've made an effort to learn more about basketball because it used to just not be my sport at all. Whenever I can watch a a broadcast of K-State basketball and I can tell you exactly what's going wrong. Bro, come on now. <laughs> yeah. It it was pretty rough for quite a while and it, it did get better. I know we're we're saying that a lot. It, it it did get a lot better over the course of the season. Case in point, the end of our season. Yes. Like the no, yeah, like they're going four and two, and the uh, uh, the the closing games, but yeah, it, it was pretty tough for quite some time. So, but yeah, they did end their season despite the loss on a very encouraging note. I don't want to say a high note because yeah, it's still a loss, a bit extreme. but it's encouraging because I know that there's. You know, like, X point, Y point about, oh, Baylor was sleepwalking, Baylor was sleepwalking. They'd had several games back at this point, because they did have a brief COVID break, but they did have multiple games back by this point, where they they'd played other opponents. And uh, they definitely looked locked in, at least from what I could tell. They had a game plan, they were following it, they were putting forth effort. And K-State uh, nearly beat them, arguably should have. There were some creative officiating at times the f- <laughs> the funniest part of the whole game in hindsight it was infuriating at the time was uh when davion bradford would get the ball in the paint go up for like a dunk and then like uh jared butler davion mitchell would come in and knock the ball away and the commentators <laughs> would be like what an incredible block let's get a replay and they get the replay and they would just get all forearm, not even touch the ball. And the commentators would just like pause for a few seconds and then be like, yeah, great defense. And yeah, great defense, great defense, great, boys. Yeah, yeah, Fran Priscilla really was pretty lazy with this commentary there, who I normally like. But yeah, it was, and, and there were some questionable charge block calls. I mean, that's basketball. But all in all, it was, it was a great measuring stick. Because just a month prior, this was a team that lost by almost 50 to Baylor. And it was 48. And they narrowed that margin from 48 to 6 in a month of basketball. Which is 
even though they lost, even though they had an awful season, it, it's very encouraging to know, to see that, because what that tells me is that despite all of the losing, the coaching staff still had their respect and still had the proper influence to coach them, which I was, that, that's what I was most worried about was the coaching staff losing the team during the long losing streak. And they honestly may have, but that went against OU that could have changed everything. Yeah. But. So we, I feel like we can, we've referenced the stats enough to where we don't have to, to read the brick. Yeah. We don't have to read absolutely everything. Like Nigel was the leading scorer, 12.7 points per game. Mike followed behind with 11.8. Uh, Dejuan Gordon, who we'll get into a little bit later, he had 9.1 points per game. Uh, Davion, 7.7. Selton was 7.1. Casey, Easy Agu with 5.2. Uh, some of the things to pay attention to here, though, on um, these statistics are turnovers. A lot of people averaged way too high of numbers of turnovers. Nigel, two turnovers a game. Mike, 2.7 turnovers a game. Uh, Dejuan, 2.4, which is just completely unacceptable with the 1.4 uh, to 2.4 assist to turnover ratio. That's horrible. And uh, Selton, 2.5 turnovers a game, which I was way worse early in the year. You kind of got it figured out. Yeah. So I won't linger too much on this. Uh, one more thing I'll go into is Nigel, 41.8% from the field, 45 from three. Then after that, it's just dismal. Yeah, from three, from no three. one else could shoot three. Yeah, Mike, 31.6 from three. Dejuan, 21.7, which is, oh my God, that's God. horrible. Selton, 22.5 from three. Only 33% from the field. Dejuan, 37.5 from the field. Davion and Casey both had good field goal percentages, but that is skewed because all of their shots are right at the bucket. They yeah. should be making them. Yeah. So we won't linger on those stats for too long uh, just because we have talked about them a lot and we still have a lot to go over. Yeah. So so now let's go over the players that we actually, you can cover lost players and I'll cover the additions yeah. mostly because there's one that I want to talk about really bad. Okay. And so lost players, uh, the one that hit the hardest by far was Dejuan Gordon. This one really hurt just because after the Baylor game, he had a really encouraging press conference. He talked about how they'd be back next year and that they 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 were going to be ready. And then just three days later, announced he was entering the portal. That really hurt because I love Dejuan as a player. Was he the best offensive weapon? Not really. But he had such a high motor, and he, he was the type of player that dove after every loose ball, was a menace uh, to deal with on defense. Just fun player. Just like the type of player that opposing fans hate and you love to have on your team so he unfortunately left antonio gordon he was suspended for the final few games of the year and then transferred after uh, dejuan gordon ended up at missouri antonio ended up at a i think division one in louisiana i i don't remember what school it was but it was one that i Monroe. i don't think so it was I think it may have been a directional school in Louisiana. Louisiana Southern? I don't know. Uh, it was, the point is, it was a smaller school in Louisiana. And Antonio, he figured out eventually that he's not a three-point shooter in the year. It was relieving when that happened because he shot under 20% from three 
on this year. Uh, and he basically solely became a rebounder. And I was really encouraged that he ended up transferring for a few different reasons that I won't really get into. But Rudy Williams, he was a Juco player that Bruce Weber brought in for point guard depth. Although he honestly just wasn't the best point guard. He was an all right shooting guard, but you need better than Rudy for the situations that we were in with shooting. Yeah. And he ended up transferring to Coastal Carolina. And then we're left with Joe Petrakis, the lovable walk-on who ended up transferring. I don't recall where he transferred, but it was sad to see him go after his domination of Kate Cunningham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In terms of additions, we I, I always word it like it's a trade because MU got Deshwan and we got Mark Smith, the guard out of my childhood college, which was Mizzou. I still root for them. Don't blame me. I grew up in Missouri. <laughs> I, I'm sad, but I understand. <laughs> yeah. That's my mother's alma mater. But uh, then we ended up getting Ishmael Masood from Wake Forest, who contributed a lot tonight, but that's for later on. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like the least talked about was Marquise Noel, the guard out of Arkansas Pine or Arkansas Little Rock, excuse me. I was thinking of the the Razorbacks game anyway. Right. But I feel like he was the one that was the least talked about. And again, we'll get into this later, but he is surprising. He's an interesting player. I what? he's he's like more chaotic more erratic Reggie Stubblefield. I don't know how I'm processing that information. And you know what? I can't necessarily disagree with you. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that a little bit more when we talk about uh, the stuff that's going on this year. Yeah. But from high school, we got forward Logan Landers and then guard slash forward Maximus Edwards, who unfortunately is out for the season with a knee. I believe it's a knee injury. Uh, it might have been a foot it's, it's always a foot injury. <laughs> but and Maximus Edwards, he is an athletic uh, um, small forward that I was really looking forward to uh, potentially seeing. Uh, allegedly, he'll be healthy in late January is when they're anticipating him. But at that point, they're just going to redshirt him and because yeah. he'd only get a month and he'd miss so much practice time anyways. So it's probably best to just redshirt him, hopefully keep him around for a little bit longer. Yeah. Then the two new walk-ons, guard Trey Harris and forward Jordan Brooks. So we added more than we lost. So thumbs up. Thumbs up. (laughs) And honestly, the three people that we added through the portal have already proven that they're going to be very solid contributors. When it comes to the portal, I 100% think that Casey ended up net positive in the portal. Absolutely. Dejuan's a loss. But Antonio, Rudy, those are players that you can absolutely live without, especially if the returns you're going to get are going to be Mark Smith, Ishmael Massoud, and Marquise Noel. Those are guys that I would take over the Dejuan Gordon, Antonio Gordon, Rudy Williams trio any day of the week. Yeah. But And we can get into the returners now. On the backcourt, we have Nigel Pack, uh, the standout true freshman from last year, the four-star recruit that... 
committed early to the Cats and jump-started what ended up being a very good recruiting class, just unfortunate timing with it uh, being a lost offseason due to COVID. Yeah. Uh, Mike McGurl elected to use his super senior season and return for one last ride with K-State. Uh, Sultan Miguel is back after a summer with the Angolan national team in which he, at times, was guarding Luka Doncic and did not look bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he did a he did better than you'd think, which doesn't mean elite. It just means he didn't get embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, he didn't embarrass himself. That's that's yeah. kind of the bar, but yeah. it's Luka Doncic. I yeah. don't quite know what you were expecting. Yeah, but still invaluable experience to go out and face some Olympic squads. Um, and he also put a lot of work in on his uh, offensive game. We'll get to that later more in depth. Luka Supke returns. He missed a lot of last year with an injury, but he was able to start contributing later in the year. was a little disappointing offensively. was labeled as a great shooter, but really had a rough time shooting the ball, especially down the stretch. But defensively, he was a great asset, uh, especially once he got a few games under his belt because uh, as a true freshman, he'd never played before at the Division One level. So once he got acclimated, he was way behind everybody, but once he got more up to speed, he showed a lot of promise defensively. And then we have Drew Honus uh, walk on. Didn't see a lot of him. Probably won't see much of him, so I don't really have a whole lot to say other than I remember him airballing a three one time. That's, uh, that, that is unfortunate. <laughs> Maybe that's not a positive. Yeah, that, that is unfortunately my only memory of Drew Honus from last year. Uh, just because Joe Petrakas seemed to get the lion's share of the walk-on minutes, because there normally weren't many, and when there were, it was because we were getting blown out. Yeah. So, And then we move to the front court. Davion Bradford is the big name that's returning. Another one of these standout true freshmen from last year. He really came into his own as the season went on, because Casey Eziegu began the year as the starter, but then he suffered an injury and missed, I believe, about a month. And Davion... Uh, came in and really started to impress. And he had some really impressive games down the stretch. Uh, I'm very excited about his future. He's somebody that has potential in going pro uh, when his time at K-State's done because he's huge. Seven <laughs> foot, 260-ish, I believe, and has a great offensive game, especially for how young he is. His defensive work has a ways to go, but he is... Offensively, you cannot ask for a lot more than what he brings to the table, which is great for his age. Casey Eziegu, as previously mentioned, uh, spent some time being injured last year, but he's probably the best shot blocker among the bigs, I would say. Definitely more so than Davion. He's a bit better defensively, I would say, as well. Uh, offensively, he's viable. Um, imagine McCall Maywin, but with good hands. <laughs> <laughs> Like, That's fair comparison, actually. Which, and, and also a little taller. Which McCall may wean with good hands. That's like a solid basketball player. It's just he had horrible hands. Yeah. But Casey's fine offensively, better defensively. Uh, and then again, another really big guy. Casey seemingly has always struggled to get actually big bigs. It seems like we kind of capped out at six foot nine for a while, but now we have, I believe, three seven footers. On the team, Davion uh, and Carlton are the true ones. Casey's, I think, like 6'11", so we'll round up. Yeah. But, and then you have Carlton Lingard, uh, who didn't get a ton of playing time last year. When he did, it was a, it was a mixed bag of results at best. 
Uh, defensively, there's no other way to put it other than he was a liability. He simply just didn't have the frame or the strength to properly defend at the five, and he didn't have the speed to defend the four. Yeah. So, yeah, just not big enough to defend at center, not fast enough to defend at power forward. But offensively, he's an interesting weapon because his inside game is fine, but he has actually a pretty efficient three-point shot. Uh, had a very solid game against Iowa State on the road to get K-State that victory. But other than that, he hasn't done a lot. He's a little dinged up right now, so we're not going to see him until maybe a little later in the season. Then the last one is Siri Lewis, who tore his ACL in the offseason, unfortunately. So we're not going to see him. We weren't going to see him much regardless, I think. He is reportedly an elite athlete, unbelievable jumping ability, but just has a long way to go with the fundamentals of the game. So a developmental guy that maybe we'll see a little bit later in his career. Yeah. So now we talked about what happened before the game and going into the season. Let's talk about the first bit of action we've seen, which is the <laughs> exhibition against our hometown college team, the Pittsburgh State Gorillas. Go Gorillas. I, <laughs> in any other time, it's Gorillas, but now it's Go Cats. Uh, the starting, <laughs> eh. the starting lineup was Nigel, Mike, Mark, Ishmael, and Kayasi. Casey. Uh, Casey, I might be stupid. Uh, Bradford is sick, non-COVID related, and yeah. he just couldn't play, which sucks. But yeah. caught a bug. Yeah, it is what it is. Dude. Everyone on campus is catching the exact same bug. It's true. It's kind of atrocious, and it lingers for a long time. Yeah, crazy what happens when you spend a year and a half away from college campuses and everybody comes back. Yeah, and then everyone's like, wait a minute. Well, there's diseases that aren't COVID. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oops, didn't, oops, forgot. Yeah, but yeah, they handled, they took care of business uh, as they should have. It was a little bit closer in like the first 10 minutes, but after that Pitt State scored first Pitt State did score first uh, they scored like in like 10 seconds yep and, which was really disconcerting yeah and but K-State took control um, in the second part of the first half and then never looked back. yeah yeah they never looked back after that at some points their lead was as great as 25 they ended up winning 78-59 but now we can get to some of the individual performances the leader of this game was actually Selton Miguel uh, on the uh, points table, uh, which I did not expect. He went 6 of 9 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, 4 of 7 at the free throw line, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 turnovers, 2 steals. Selton, he uh, he also was uh, great defensively this game, as we've come to expect from him. Um, Selton, um, one of the big notes on him is his jumper is so much better than it was last year. Mainly because last year he didn't really jump. He didn't have one. Yeah, he just didn't. He didn't even jump with his outside shot. He just kind of was flat-footed. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of. Yeah, and it was also really slow. So if he was open, he wasn't because it's because <laughs> by the time he was getting the shot off, someone like was up there, caught up to him. He also really struggled dribbling with his left hand, as in he didn't dribble with his left hand last ever. year <laughs> ever, and it made him very predictable and driving only to the right, but. Well, he didn't drive to his left today, at least that I recall. I did see him dribbling with his left hand at least a few times, and he looked more confident with the ball. Uh, and he also just, his outside stroke looked good. 
which if Selden's developing his offensive game, he's going to be an absolute menace, I think. So he that was very encouraging to see. Yeah. Then next up is Mark Smith, who got six total points, was three for six from the field, but he had 13 rebounds. He very quietly just dominated the boards. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, casual, casually getting 13 rebounds. Pretty pretty crazy stuff there for Mark Smith. Uh, only two of them were offensive, but wow, 13 rebounds. And I I had no idea until I looked at the box score. and It, it just, was quiet. It was a very quiet performance. Because uh, if Mark Smith can, for at least for this year, you just kind of take that Dejuan Gordon role of cleaning up the boards, just I don't know, just being like a junkyard dog player. I hate to, you know, use coach speak like that, but <laughs> if he can be that, I I would absolutely love that. And he was non dominant offensively, but he was efficient. He yeah. didn't take bad shots. He uh, he did turn over the ball three times, and made up for it with five assists. And then he also had a block and two steals. So he really stuffed the stat sheet. So, yeah. yeah. Efficient day for Mr. Mark Smith in his first action as Wildcat. Yep. Then this next guy, very unexpected. I was not expecting this guy to make any sort of impact this year. But just because we were so thin at at, uh, um, Everything. at, at center and power forward, uh, this man was called to action. Because uh, with Davion out and Carlton Lingard out and Siri Lewis out for the year, there was Ishmael Masood, there was Casey Eziegu, and then the guy we're going to talk about, we had Logan Landers. And Logan Landers, uh, he had a rough first half. Like I'll say he just didn't really do a whole lot. But the second half, especially down the stretch, he had some great moments. He had an excellent series where defensively, he just absolutely stuffed uh, a post player for Pitt State just rejected them. It was really funny. Yeah, and uh, got the ball to Marquise. He ran down the floor, got a great feed, and then just slammed it home. And everybody went crazy. Yeah. And that was the moment when he became a fan favorite. Exactly. <laughs> we want Logan. Yeah, people were chanting, we want Logan. And, like, you could look at him on the bench, and he was, like, smiling. It was very yeah. cute. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah, and Landers, he just had... He had an admirable performance. This was his first Division One action, and he went three of four from the field, one of one from three, perfect from the free throw line, four of four, eight rebounds, three offensive, five defensive, uh, and then he had two blocks for, and he had ended up with eleven points. So, really, I wasn't expecting much from Logan. Period this year, and he comes out in his first action as a Wildcat and has a. Really, a very good perform, a great performance almost for what my expectations were, at least relative to that. Yeah. So that that was encouraging. I was, and I felt really, I felt good for him. Like it's because he he just played very maturely. It felt like there were a few moments early on where it was clear he was acclimating, but once he started to settle down a little bit on the defensive end, uh, and then especially when he got the dunk, the confidence really started to show itself. Yeah. And, like he, like wasn't overconfident, but he played within himself. When he had open shots, he took it, and just all around was just he was fun. He was fun to watch. I enjoyed watching him. Yeah. Now, now we get to talk about my personal favorite player that we saw, 
which is Marquise Noel. And looking at the stat sheet, you might not know why he would be my favorite player. Because he had nine points. He was four for eight from the field, one three-pointer. 0 for 1 on his free throws. One rebound, three assists, uh, six turnovers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then two steals. So you may be wondering, why is he my favorite player? Uh, first off, he's 5'7". Yep. He's... That's not the reason why he is my favorite. He's like an inch or two taller than Deuce. Yeah, which is... And he's shorter than me. So... But... Why Marquise Noel is my favorite player is because he's kind of that... Like, in a way, he's the motor guy that Dejuan Gordon was. Because he goes out there, and my god, he plays like his hair is on fire. He is so much fun to watch. And he has, like, this... We- he has, like, a absurd vertical as well. Like, you don't expect him to get up there. No, 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 no. He gets up up there. Marquise Noel, if he had all of like his physical talents and was like 6 foot 3, he would be one of the best players in the country. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cuz he he was just so much fun to watch. He was reckless at times, especially in the first half. He had five turnovers in the first half, only one in the second half luckily, and he started to settle it down. He was one of four from three, but his one three that he made, he just pulled up from very deep. Yeah. And just drained it. <laughs> and because we've heard rumors throughout the offseason about Marquise Noel just not being afraid to pull up from nearly half court and consistently actually be able to make the shot. And it was funny to watch Bruce Weber, like, at times want to complain about Marquise <laughs> Noel's, like, risk-taking, but sometimes it just kind of worked and you didn't really know what to say about yeah, it. Yeah, he's just like... Yeah, like, he can't play. quite yell. Like, he wants to, but, like, you know, if it works, it works. And Marquise is one Watching of those people... conflicted Bruce is really yeah. funny. It really is. Like, Marquise, he's just the type of player, he's going to be frustrating at times, but other times he's just going to make incredible plays. And he had a few excellent layups. Uh, a few that should have been and ones that just weren't called because the refs were kind of just not good. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of really bad. I mean, granted, first game of the season for them as well. So... Yeah. And so... I'll give them a pass now, but they were not very good during the Once. game. Yeah, they get the one-time pass, but don't get used to it. So Marquise, is he a little reckless? Yes. Absolutely. But it does pay off occasionally. Uh, and when he, it, that, that's what makes him entertaining, honestly. And to get back to this double field comparison I made earlier, it's mainly just his motor, motor. and just also just like his, yeah, his personality on the court as well. Like he just brings a swagger to the court that I really enjoy watching. And he just plays with so much speed, and he just harasses people. He had two steals on consecutive plays and nearly had a third. He's not the... afraid either. No, like He was going up against, like, I, I started calling him Campbells because man was a little little chunky, but he, <laughs> he, 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 he was going up against him. He was holding his own. He was not afraid. Yeah, uh, one, This guy was uh, yeah. like 6'4". 240, and then you have Marquise Noel, 5'7", probably 160, soaking wet, and he's just not letting himself get bodied. Yeah, like, I, I remember, like the, I, we may be talking about the same play, but uh, he got switched onto a post player. Yep. 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six maybe, and he was playing post defense and was like, 
like like this guy was like bumping him and he was bumping back. Yeah, he was <laughs> bumping back, bro. He he just he plays with an unbelievable amount of heart. You and I looked at each other like, "What are you doing?" I was afraid because I was like, "We have a mismatch in the post." Don't know if you've seen that, Bruce. <laughs> like, but he it's got not he, a mismatch. Yeah, he got switched off pretty quickly. Luckily, but uh, when he was briefly on that guy in the post, he he played like he was like six foot nine. He is not. <laughs> not close. But Marquise, he, I, he was so much fun to watch. I almost didn't notice the five turnovers in the first half. There were a few times I noticed, but honestly, a, a lot of them I just didn't notice because of the deep three and like just how entertaining he was. Yeah. And just his harass, her his harassing defense. He's just gonna be feast or famine. I think as a player, yeah, he's either going to make great plays or boneheaded plays, and you're just going to have to live with the boneheaded ones for the great ones. And you know, Casey hasn't had a lot of players like that. I'm okay with it. Like, yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it a shot if he can get the turnovers kind of under control, like two a game, which is still high, but two a game, I won't be as mad. Yeah. I'll 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 let it slide. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, and those were like the main contributors. A lot of people saw the floor. I think everybody that was healthy got on the floor. Lucas Supki, he had a lot of playing time. He unfortunately did not make any three pointers, but he did have a nice little jump shot at the tail end of the game. Uh he had three rebounds and a steal to go with it. Um and then also Nigel Pack, very quiet. Uh only five points, two of nine from the field, one of four from three. But he did have three assists and no turnovers with a steal. Yeah. Casey Eziegu, seven points. I think almost I think every point he scored is either a free throw or a dunk. And then he uh, um had four rebounds, um, one block, but he did have four fouls. So that's why he only played twelve minutes. But he had seven points in twelve minutes, so he was efficient. And then the last two players, Mike McGurl, three of six from the field, two of three from three, four rebounds, one assist, two turnovers, one steal eight points so was it a great game not really was it a bad game no but this is what we need from mike you know like a, a solid eight points and efficient from the field two of three from three three of six uh on field goals and he only had two turnovers in 27 minutes i can live with that then ishmael was sued so the only other guy we haven't talked about he had a cool 10 points three of nine from the field one of five from three perfect from the free throw line three for three four rebounds one assist three turnovers um, he wasn't the most efficient from the field, only three of nine, one of five from three, but he has a very pretty shot and I want him to keep shooting because a lot of his shots were just down and out. Like they looked like they were about to go in and they just kind of roll out. Yeah. So he had for probably for his standards an off night, but I, I, I'm encouraged. Yeah. We pretty much covered all the stories. Honestly. Yeah. Like we kind of did. I'll, I'll briefly run through them, just more of a recap. The big thing, or the big few that I noticed, offense, we're going to have multiple contributors this year. With a pulse, thank yeah. God. Yeah, it's not just going to be Nigel and maybe Mike, depending off if he has a good or bad night, and it's occasionally Davion. I mean, there's a lot of guys tonight that I looked at, watched them play, and said they can make an offensive contribution. Yeah. Selton came out of absolutely nowhere with being relevant offensively. Yeah. Ishmael's a guy that we can rely on, I think. Uh, say what you will about Noel. He will come out with a pulse. Yeah. Marquis, yeah. Like, will he be efficient? 
Possibly. We don't know, but, but <laughs> he will have a pulse. And it's honestly, I think it's infectious. I think so. I think you're right. He's he's a little spark plug to throw out on the field, the court. And then, I was calling it a field on that. You're good. That's all right. And Mark Smith, uh, he's a solid role player, I think, that the team will have. So there's a lot of guys to look to. Uh, Pack, of course. Um, another thing, Selton's shot is so much better. We've kind of talked about this a little bit already. But six and nine from the field, two, three from three. And his shot, it was A, the release point was higher, and B, the motion was much quicker. Because he his shot was it was like watching him shoot through quicksand. Like it it was pretty bad. Uh just the form itself wasn't awful. It was just so slow and the release point was low. But he raised the release point, increased the speed in which he performs it. And all around just looked a lot more comfortable shooting the ball. He got higher off the ground when he shot. Very, very encouraging stuff. Because if Selton can develop a jump shot, he is going to be very difficult to defend in the Big yeah. 12. Because he is an aggressive driver. So uh, Then also, the, the defense was generally pretty good. Uh, Landers, at times, wasn't the best in the post. But that's just part of him being a little underdeveloped and playing more minutes than he probably will. Should, yeah. yeah. So, but he did settle down a little bit as the game went on. Uh, we mentioned this pack was quiet, but it just it didn't really matter. Looking forward to watching Masood develop. Um, Bradford in the post, I would have loved to see him just go off in this game because I think he could have had a field day. Uh, Casey. Still struggling with foul trouble. We talked about Marquise enough. Uh, Mark Smith was very nice. The team as a whole shot really well, which is not something we could say at all last year. Uh, 45.8 from the field percentage-wise, and then 33.3% from three. A lot of those misses came later in the game, uh, but especially early on, it felt like they were, like in the first half and early second half, they were making a lot of threes, it felt like. They were, they were efficient on it. Um, their free throws were not the best at times. Logan Landers uh, and oddly Casey, Easy Hanku, and Ishmael Masood kind of carried in that department. Selton did miss three. Luke missed two. Marquise missed one. Mark missed one. So they still shot 66.6%. Or 66.7, I guess is technically the same. No difference. They weren't the best they could do a lot better on free throws there were a lot of misses on the first free throw attempt and then they drained the second one but they could do better 13 offensive rebounds very encouraging to see and then nine steals wasn't also encouraging but that's game storylines but what about season storyline yeah first things first is last year we talked about how nigel pack was a lot of times kind of our only offensive weapon so, the big question remains, can he avoid a sophomore slump? Because I don't care what you're doing, whether it be academically or in sports, the sophomore slump does exist. Yep. It's crucial that he find a way to at least minimize it. Granted, if there's going to be a year to do it, I think it'd be this year because there's a lot of people, there, there's going to be a lot of people on this offense that, are going to deserve uh, minutes and also deserve uh, a lot of shots. So if there's going to be a year to struggle, it's going to be this year because he can be an effective distributor. 
and uh, facilitate other players being successful offensively. So this could be a year where we don't see his points per game maybe go up, but we maybe see his assist-to-turnover ratio improve, and he gets more assists, takes care of the ball better. That could be something that he could do to help minimize those effects, but there's just going to be a lot of shots going around uh, that need to be divided up pretty well, mm-hmm. just because there's a lot of competent offensive players in this on this team, which is something that I don't say very much about K-State basketball. But there's a lot of people on this team I think can be effective offensively. So, we'll see. Um, the next season storyline we have is, will the transfers gel with the team? Yeah, from what we've seen so far, honestly, they they play like they've been playing together for a lot longer than it, six months. That's exactly what I thought. Watching, They looked very comfortable uh, as a unit. Uh, Masood and Mark Smith, they just transferred, and they're already starting, and they looked like a natural part of the team. Marquise Noel, he was really fun to watch, and he clearly gelled. And even though he made mistakes, there wasn't anger really from the team. Maybe Bruce, but there's not much that makes him happy when the game's going on. So Outside, he's, a, he's Santa Claus. He's fine. Oh, yeah, he's an excellent, great guy. But <laughs> on the court, he's he's angry about everything. Angry always. Yeah, you can take the uh, next one. Yeah, so... We mentioned again, Pack. All it all kind of circles around him offensively, or at least did last year. But who will emerge as the second scorer? And right now, you have uh, you have a toss up between you know, five people: Ishmael Masood, Sultan Miguel, Davion Bradford, Mark Smith, and Mike McGurl. And if I had to give an answer, I'd just for the sake of my sanity say McGurl because. You know, I still think that if he is the second guy, if he's not the guy that everyone is trying to focus themselves on, he has the potential to be that sneaky second scorer. Yeah, I think on this list, the only one that I would be content with taking off very easily would be Mark Smith. I don't because I just don't think that's going to end up being his role, at least based off what we saw tonight. Now, that could change, but Ishmael Masood, he's a very solid option because he falls into that stretch four role that Bruce Weber absolutely loves to have on his teams. Like a good stretch four is almost required for his teams to perform well. And Masood, he did show that he is not afraid to shoot the three and he shoots it well. He only went one of five, but he was taking good shots and they weren't off the mark. They were just, just some nights you, you just have those kind of nights where they just aren't hitting. So, um, Sultan Miguel, Came out of absolutely nowhere as a viable offensive option, not just driving to the hoop, but also around the arc and just general jump shots. So he's his offensive development is going to be very interesting to watch this year. Davion, we already know, is good offensively. And then Mike is another great option. As the second option offensively, that takes a lot of pressure off of him and makes his life much easier. So he's an, he'd be another very easy option to emerge so yeah uh, another big one is will the defense be reliable this year there were moments against Pitt state that i thought were kind of questionable but i am willing to chalk that up as it is the first game mm-hmm. so i will say that my prediction is we're kind of going to be wildly inconsistent we will have games where we 
look unstoppable or I guess unbreakable on defense and there will be other games where we look vulnerable. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. Um, I'm not too worried about the defense right now. They did have moments where they weren't looking the best defensively, but I do chalk up a lot of that to being so thin at a post. So Logan Landers is getting way more minutes than he's probably going to play the rest of the year, save for injuries. Uh, Davion, uh, hopefully he'll be able to improve his defense this year. And also Casey was in foul trouble a lot of this game. Yeah. So it's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of factors that can play towards either argument of, you know, like it's just an exhibition game, you know, like there's X excuse and it's just an exhibition game. That's why it's concerning. So yeah, it's one game that literally doesn't count. So we're, we're quite a, we're quite a ways away from making a judgment. I think this will be a fine K-State defense. Yeah. I, I think they'll average out to being solid. There, this is not going to be an elite K-State defense, but they do have the potential for that. If Selton can continue to be an elite stopper on defense, if Marquise Noel can continue to just be elite at harassing people. <laughs> and, Which is his elite trait. Yeah, that is his elite trait. He is just a menace to deal with. Um, then if everyone else can just play fine, this could potentially be a very good K-State defense. But that's potential. It remains to be seen. Yeah. Finally, will K-State have multiple shooters around the perimeter that will have to be respected? Yes. I I'd absolutely think so. And the three that pop to my mind are obviously Nigel Pack, mm-hmm. then Mike McGurl, and then I like Marquise Noel. Because he actually has, like, a sneaky good shot, too. He does. He shoots from anywhere on the floor, which is such a useful asset to have. Because he's drawing defenders out of the paint. They have to... They can't just stop at the three-point line or even a little bit behind the three-point line. They have to follow him everywhere. Because he will pull up and shoot anywhere. He will shoot from the logo if he feels like it. And he always does. (laughs) So, you have to guard him no matter where you are on the floor that's a great asset mike is not quite as extreme but he will shoot from range and nigel is a sharpshooter from pretty much anywhere within like 27 feet so he and then Basud, i think is going to be a viable option as well on the perimeter i don't think he's going to be lights out but if you can have a tall guy that can be effective in the mid-range and the post and also be a solid three-point shooter, that is an unbelievable weapon at the college level. So there's that. Well, that's multiple shooters that have to be respected right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, so, we already answered that one. Uh, that one's answered. So that kind of moves us out of the season storylines, and that brings us into the final part of this preview, which is predictions on how this season will go. We've been seeing some praises. We've also expressed a few concerns. So now we will get into the... The uh, meat and potatoes, I suppose, of this, the uh, the the records and whatnot. So yeah, uh, Ace will uh, go ahead and have you uh, begin. So for let's actually flip this around. We'll do MVP and newcomer, then record. Sound good? Yeah, that's good with me. Okay, so let's start off with most valuable player for this year. I have to go with the guy who I think will end up being the leader for this team, not necessarily in terms of scoring or defense 
or anything that you could truly like encapsulate in a number. I think that Mike McGurl almost has to be the MVP for this team just from a leadership perspective and the experience perspective because he can use that experience to help the team gel together even better and just, you know, experience is something that is underrated in just about every sport. So I feel like McGurl will end up being the MVP, but it won't show up on stat sheets. Yep, and then um, for me, I've really wrestled with this because especially after tonight, it's obvious that Casey just has a lot of like very solid players, but it's unclear if they're going to have a standout. I do think if they do have a standout, it's going to be Pack. But if he falls into a sophomore slump, there's going to be a lot of pretty good players on this team. So because of that, I'm going to roll with Pack because I think that if he can improve on last year, this team goes from an NCAA bubble team to like a competitive team in the Big 12 and potentially making a tournament run. It rests on Pack, I think, in that regard his development defensively and his consistency is remaining at a high level offensively. It is so vital to the success of this team. So, and I don't, I think if he has a bad year or a down year, they're not, it's not like they're going to be awful, but he really unlocks a lot of potential with this team. If he's able to improve off of his performance from last year, especially since there's going to be other role players around him. So I'm going to go with Nigel Pack for my MVP. Yeah, and we'll flip the order. You can do newcomer of the year first if you're ready. Yeah, I am. Uh, newcomer of the year is is a it's an interesting question because I think all the transfers are going to be very good in their own right. But I'm going to go ahead and go with Ishmael Masood as my newcomer of the year. Uh, after tonight, I'm very tempted to go with Logan Landers, but <laughs> I don't think this. I don't think this is going to be uh, what the type of typical performance to expect. It's Logan Lander season. Yeah, it's Logan Lander season. But I think that uh, uh, Masood, I was really encouraged by what I saw from him offensively. Uh, he has a great shot. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Sneeds, of Xavier Sneeds, where he has a very high release and a very fluid release. And he just looks like a natural shooter. And he's taller than Sneed by four or five inches. So... I'm excited to see what Masood can do. If he can be the type of guy to average 10, 11 points and be good for a few big threes a game, he he can ask for a lot more than that. So I'm really looking forward to see what Masood can do. But he's my pick right now. Yeah. And my pick, it's probably not a surprise for anyone that's been listening to how much I love this guy. Marquise Noel is going to be my newcomer of the year. Even though there was a lot of temptation to say Mark Smith just because he got 13 rebounds tonight. But I think what Marquise Noel brings to the team is he is, like like we said earlier, he is a spark plug, and he will shoot from just about anywhere. And having that threat, and also he's not bad at passing either. So just having that threat of someone who can shoot from anywhere and is not afraid in any capacity, that that is energy that teams feed off of. So 
Newcomer of the year, again, this is less for intangible reasons than my reason of Mike McGurl, but I still think that Marquise Noel will end up being the best transfer or the best newcomer when it's all said and done this season. And that brings us to our last prediction. Uh, we can kind of package these last two, I think, into one, where we have record and then uh, what we think is going to happen for postseason. So I'll let you go first on this. Yeah, so I have us going 18 and 13. I have us, you know, uh, 10 and 8 in the Big 12. I have us dropping five non-con games, obviously. I don't see us beating uh, whoever wins between Cincy and Illinois, uh, if we even get that far. I don't see us beating either team, frankly. But, and then they're just, for Big 12 play, I see us winning one game that we really shouldn't, and then losing one game that we really shouldn't. Because that seems to just be something K-State basketball does. And with that record in mind, I was being a high seed in the NIT. I don't see us. I we we'll probably be a bubble team for the NCAA, but not quite make it. But I think that Bruce shows enough that he is indeed a competent coach this year and can keep coaching us for the future. I'm in the fairly similar boat, although I think I have a slightly more positive outlook. I have K-State going 21-10 and 10 and 10-8 10 and 8 in the Big 12. So we have the same Big 12 record, but I have a little bit more faith in the non-conference. I think we won our first two games, Florida A&M and Omaha. Those are cakewalks. Then we go to the Hall of Fame Classic. We're going to lose. I think we're going to lose to Arkansas. I think we're going to lose to either Cincinnati or Illinois. Then uh, North Dakota, Albany, Wichita State. I think we should win all those. Then we have uh, the game against Marquette, which mark your calendars. That's going to be a lavender jersey day. So, just keep that in the back of your minds. Color Rush. Yep, Color Rush. That's what they're calling it. And the Big East Big 12 battle will be against Marquette Wednesday night at 8. So, I think K-State is going to take that one. So, this is a home game. And they have Green Bay. I think they'll win that at Nebraska. I'm not convinced on Nebraska being alive in basketball yet. Dead. So, we'll see. That could. That's a potential game that K-State could drop if Fred Hoiberg has gotten things turned around a little faster up there. Then they close non-conference with McNeese State and Morgan State. I think that K-State should obviously run away with those. Then they get into conference play, and it's... Oh, I guess they do have the Big 12 SEC Challenge. I think they win at Ole Miss, but that brings us into conference play, and it's going to be another tough year to be a middling team in the Big 12. It always is a tough year for basketball. Yeah. like There's always like the one or two teams that are just so much worse than everyone else. It's going to get worse with expansion. There's the one or two teams that are going to be better than everybody, generally KU and someone else. And then you have spots like roughly three through seven that it's just an absolute nightmare to sort it out. And it really just comes down to the type of night that you have. And I feel like K-State's going to be in there. I think I'm just going to go through the schedule. I think K-State wins at OU to open conference play. I think they lose at home to Texas because I am a huge believer in Texas. I think Texas is going to be excellent this year because they finally have a coach that can make use of the talent that they have. They're not that Shaka Smart's a bad coach, but that Chris Beard's a really, really good, good coach. coach. I think they lose at West Virginia. They start 1-2. and two, Then they come home, and they went back-to-back against TCU and Texas Tech, and that puts them at 
three and two lose at texas they play texas pretty close together here actually it's kind of odd scheduling so that puts them at three and three i think they drop ku at home unfortunately three and four then they lose a baylor three and five beat oklahoma state that's four and five win at tcu five and five i think they upset baylor at home uh that's six and five when iowa state seven west virginia there's eight i think they lose in Stillwater. So that's eight and six, lose at KU, eight and seven, win at Iowa State, that's eight and eight, I think, eight, mm-hmm. and eight, nine and seven, I think that's nine and seven. Then they lose at Tech, win at Oklahoma to end conference play. I'm pretty sure that's ten and eight. Yeah, ten and eight. I, I'm I'm pretty sure. I lost track a little bit there. I'm I'm not a math major. I don't know. But <laughs> we're both liberal arts majors. Yeah. Give us a break. Yeah, I'm trying my best out here. It's late. <laughs> it's midnight. It is. But, it is officially tomorrow. Yeah, it's, it's tomorrow. So this episode's coming out today at this point. So that's not confusing at all. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Cats, twenty-one and 10, 10 and eight Big Twelve record, and I think they make the NCAA tournament as an eleven seed. I don't think that they will have a play-in. I don't think they're one of the last four in. I think they barely avoid being in the play-in games. I really hope so. I hope so. But I I think K-State returns to the NCAA tournament, and I even think they win. They they get a little upset win over a six-seed, just as as a little surprise, get to the round of 32. And I think... Big Daddy Bruce sticks around for just a little bit longer in Manhattan. Maybe even gets a contract extension. Bruce Goodball. Bruce Goodball. But With Catsketball. Bruce Goodball, Catsketball. There's so many more fun names that we have. We need to get a sign that says Catsketball. Merch? Question mark? Merch? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that wraps up both the weekly recap and the men's basketball preview if you like the episode and want to contact us we are at aggieville a cats on twitter that's capital a capital a and capital c and cats if you want to email us we are aggieville alley cats at gmail.com if you want to follow us on a more personal note i am at ac edward zero zero and i am at connor Baltazor, capital c capital b if you want to support the show in a financial sense we are looking for sponsors but if you want to do it on a more personal level we are indeed going to be advertising the merch store like we do every time. I don't know why I was treating that like it's special. Where we have such designs such as Neon Alley Cats and Play Sandstorm Cowards. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain shine or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>